All right. Uh, if you have a Bible or a smartphone, or even better yet, the church app, go to Luke chapter seven. If you're in the if you're in the church app, in the message notes, all the passages of scripture there, you can read along, type notes to yourself, send them to you yourself or to someone else. It's really a cool tool. But I want you to have, a, I see a lot of paper Bibles. I love that. So Luke chapter one is where we're going to be in just a second. Uh, so I want to make sure you heard some of that. So next Sunday, Christmas Eve, 3 p.m., 4.45 p.m., no morning gathering. Then on New Year's Eve, we will be online only at 10 a.m. That's a one Sunday a year. We give all of our volunteers the day off and we stream uh, online only. And it's a chance for you to be with your family, enjoy the New Year's thing. And then January 7th, uh, we're, it said we're normal on January 7th. I'm not sure we're going to ever be accused of being normal. Also, uh, if you're new here, my name's Jim, and we are Summit Church. It's also Name Tag Sunday. Uh, welcome to our online campus as well. Uh, so your name and your favorite Christmas movie. Yes, mine says Die Hard. How many people in the room would agree that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie? There you go. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, so, uh, we are, we're Summit Church, and we are a church that is in the middle of a restoration season with God. And we believe that God is reclaiming our history, that He is redeeming our pain, and that He's restoring our purpose uh, to the mission to which He called this church 43 years ago. And so uh, you can find out all about that at summitchurch.online slash restoration. We have 66 people right now that have committed to praying every day. We call it Summit at 7, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., have alarms set on our phone. It's fun to be in a room of Summit people at 7 p.m. or 7 a.m. and listen to all the phones go off at the same time. And we pray for our church. We believe God is doing great things in us and that he's in a restoration work among us. So I just want to thank you for that. If you want to know more about that, you can go to the website. You can learn everything about what we're, what we've, where we've been and where we're headed. Also, it feels to me like January 7th is going to be sliding into another gear and uh, a, another uh, surge of God's goodness and direction for us as a church. And uh, that day, we will kick off our new growth tracks, which is a right after church on Sunday. We have three growth tracks. Uh, each Sunday, we do one of them. And that starts again January 7th. I have rewritten growth track one. I'm super excited about it. That day, we will kick off growth track one. Love to have you come and attend if you'd like. And then um, we're going to have a, a really powerful time. Actually, on the 31st, it's online only, but I don't want you to take a pass that day because that's a significant word that I believe God has given us for 2024 that I'm going to give you that day. So uh, don't miss the 31st online only at 10. Then, uh, man, I believe we're going to see that first quarter of 2024 be a time where God does something significant among us. And here's what I mean. He's going to weave us together into a unified vision of who he wants our church to be. And he's going to unify us together around relationships, communities of faith, smaller, middle-sized, and bigger. But we're going to have a connection to one another relationally. It won't, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, I think, a catalytic season for us all the way through the first quarter. And so I hope you'll be a part of that and lean into that and pray for that. Uh, you can probably tell by my voice, I had the flu this week. We had, uh, I think, seven or eight of our staff and elders get the flu this week. 
And uh, some say it was that our Christmas party was a super spreader event. Others say that's what praying twice a day as a group will do to you. Uh, I don't know what it was, but man, God is good and we're fired up. So we've been in this series as we, as we get our arms around the mosaic of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And what we discovered is that each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, present Jesus to us in a slightly different framework. Uh, we started with the gospel of Mark, and Mark is a gospel written to the Romans. It is very short, concise, packed with power. The Romans were a power, uh, speed, agility kind of culture. And uh, Mark presents Jesus that way. It's all about the gospel of power. And then Matthew, which we looked at last week, is a, is a gospel written for the historical uh, good news about Jesus that was foretold. He quotes more of the Old Testament than the other three gospels combined. Today, we're in the gospel of Luke, and we're going to learn about uh, the, the Messiah, who is the king who brings the kingdom to outsiders through insiders by and for the glory of God. This is, uh, is going to back us up to the big story of God. And Luke is written for people who don't have any bearing about where Jesus would have come from or who he is. They're not anchored to the Jewish faith. They might be Greeks or they might be uh, other Gentiles who don't have a religious background. And Luke is going to introduce us to Jesus in this incredible way that, that God decided to bring his kingdom to you, to people who had no idea who he was, no idea who God is, lost in our own sense of God, that he has come for you. But he's done so in a way where he came through this incredible sovereignty of God that existed before the foundations of the earth, and while the kingdom has come for you, it's not all about you, it's about God himself. And so, uh, man, I hope you can just buckle up here for these next 25, 30 minutes and get lost in the incredible size of the story of God and how you fit in that story. It really, I believe, is going to anchor your faith deeper to God and give you a greater sense of uh, His grace and love for you in its right place in your life. So, man, I'm excited about this. So, we're going to read Luke chapter 1, and this is a a longer reading than normal. We're going to read, um, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 17. Then we're going to drop down to verse 67 and read through verse 79. So it's, a, again, a little bit longer reading. Uh, but this is such good stuff. So, uh, man, I'm glad you're here. If you are willing and able to stand for the reading of God's Word, that is our practice here. And here we go, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. I'm really curious what very old means. Uh, 
it's not like uh, the, t- the clock is ticking. No, they're very old. And uh, my children have informed me that I now qualify as the very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, for he will be, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of the Lord of Israel uh, to the Lord, their God, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and children uh, uh, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now dropping down to verse 67. Later on, Zechariah at the birth of John breaks into a song and this is what he sings. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The word of God, you can be seated. Thank you so very much. Here's our big idea today, that the kingdom of God has come for you, and it's not all about you. This is really important because it's so easy for us to think that everything's all about us. I mean, I, I live my body, my life all the time, and, and it's easy for you just to get your whole world's about you, but it's really important that this is two pieces of good news for you that you absorb from Luke. The king of God, the king has brought the kingdom of God to you. That's the first piece of good news. Man, he loves you. And the second piece of good news is it's not all about you. And the thing I know in my 61 years of life is when your life is all about you, that world is way too small and it's way too weak and it's way too fragile. So this is both good news. And what Luke is going to tell us is that the God of all eternity has been doing a thing from the beginning that now you're a part of, and it's going to continue on for its greater mission, and you get to be a part of that, and you are this, uh, this part of the incredible love and grace of God. So, uh, Luke is, here's why I love Luke. Luke is, uh, so three things I'm going to tell you about today, okay, that, that, that the king and the kingdom have come for outsiders, those of us who aren't a part of the inside. And 
He did so through his promised path of insiders, but that all of that is wrapped around the reality that the kingdom of God exists from God, it is all about God, and it's for the glory of God. And when you get lost in that, when you live in that, that's when you're really cooking with gas, all right? So interesting things about Luke you may not know. The author, Luke, is a physician. He is not an apostle. In fact, Luke did not know Jesus when he walked the earth. Luke had no encounter with Jesus uh, as a living person. He, had, he met Christ. We don't know how, but he became a believer of Jesus and a pretty radical believer of Jesus. And he wanted to write this book. You see in the first verse, uh, many have undertaken to draw up the account of the life of Jesus, and I decided I would do so too, right? And he's writing to one person, a guy named Theophilus. Nobody knows who Theophilus is. He says, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is obviously a Greek. He's obviously a Greek who is highly regarded. We don't know if Theophilus is his birth name or if it's his nickname. Theophilus means friend of God. Theophilus is a person who is trying to believe in God, who's seeking God. And Luke decides that he's going to write the gospel of Luke as a one-on-one conversation with somebody who has no background to who God is, who Jesus was, and how this all works. This is what's amazing about Luke is it's like you're eavesdropping on a one-on-one conversation. Luke's not a guy who encountered Jesus. He's not a Jew. He's writing to a guy who's a friend of his who's not a Jew, who doesn't have any background there. And he's introducing this idea of, and he he says, I have well documented and researched. So he says, because he's a doctor, he's a scientist, he's a He's an intellectual, he's an observer of reality. And he says, so here's what I've done is I have gone back and carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And so I wanted to write an orderly account for you. I love this verse four, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So here's what I love about Luke. It's all about outsiders. This is God saying, hey, Luke, I want you to write down, do a careful, deep dive and write out the gospel so that people who are on the outside can understand what God has been doing from the beginning and that he's going to keep on doing. So this is really cool. And Luke's a storyteller. He goes right into a story. There was a time where there's this couple. And uh, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And uh, so he starts telling stories. And Luke is the gospel of stories. He tells story after story after story after story because he's connecting to one person. Let me tell you another story. There's this other guy. And now there's another story. And this is helping us who are on the outside. So you have Luke who's on the outside. You have Theophilus on the outside. You have you and I who have, uh, you know, we're on the outside. And he's saying, let me tell you some stories. And he starts with a couple who feel like they're on the outside, even though they're really on the inside, Zechariah and Elizabeth. These two people are God-fearing, honoring people. In fact, he mentions that they are of the priestly tribe of Abijah and that they are both descendants of Aaron. Now, the thing about that is that there's, uh, you know, there's God's favorites and then there's God's super favorites and then there's God's turbo favorites. And the line of Aaron, that was, that's like holy ground. You had the Levites who could serve in the temple, but only direct blood descendants of Aaron could enter into the temple and offer the prayers that he's about to offer 
when his time comes. So he's an insider. They both are descendants of Aaron. They're God-fearing. They have respected God, loved God. They lived according to the laws of God. They are upright. It doesn't mean they're sinless, but they are God-fearing, wonderful people. But they're childless and they're very, very old. In the ancient world, reproduction was the central mark of the favor of God upon your life. So yes, they're insiders, but they feel like outsiders. Having to be socially embarrassed that they've never born a child, not able to pass on the bloodline of Aaron to their own son, having no kids, and now clearly past childbearing years. So they're on the outside, and you have them uh, part of this story. Then you have Joseph and Mary, who we didn't read about, who are just two little teenagers who are in the line of David. They're insiders, but they live in a little town called Nazareth, and they're people of poverty. They're common, hardworking folks of no renown in a town of no renown. In fact, later, when somebody says, trying to tell somebody that Jesus is the Messiah, where is he from? He's from Nazareth. That person will say, does anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like, I would want, I want to pick a location around here and say, you know, does anything good come out of there? But as sure as I do, one of you lives there. So uh, let's just say Cleveland, Ohio. Does anything good come out of Cleveland? You know, uh, they're from this town, and they, though they're uh, genealogically insiders, they feel like outsiders, and God chooses them. You have Zechariah in his song, breaks out in, the, in his prophetic song at the end I read to you, to shine on those living in darkness, the shadow of death, to guide our feet to peace, like God is doing this for the outsiders. So Zechariah even confirms this is about the outside work of God. You have Jesus himself, the Son of God, is placed in a manger, and it's literally a feeding trough, which I'm sure Joseph never heard the end of for the rest of his marriage. Couldn't find us a place to stay, and I had to put the baby, this promised baby, in a feeding trough, in a, in a barn. Are you kidding me? Uh, everything speaks of outsider, lowercase, unimportant, uh, forgotten. This is the first thing Luke wants you to understand. God has chosen to pursue the forgotten, the outsider, the one living in darkness, the one who's struggling to find their sense of self, the one who's struggling economically, the one whose life isn't making sense, the one who feels like, I think I'm doing everything right, but nothing's going right. Many of you know this feeling that Zachariah and Elizabeth would have had that, you know, we're living for God. Why is he withholding this from us? We have a lot of that same similar impulse in us. If I'm living for God, then I should be physically healthy and I should have you know, enough money to take care of all my needs, and I should have not only children, but obedient, wonderful children. And, you know, and you can just start saying, man, something's wrong. These are the ones that God has come for. Now, he's come for us who are outsiders, but he's done this in a way that's very congruent with who he's been forever by naming the insider, the nation of Israel, Abraham as the first covenant, the promise there, and then the line of David, and then Moses' covenant. And, and like God has stayed true to his course 
working through the inside. So Matthew or Luke wants to make sure we also understand that this is God working through the inside of his eternal plan. Again, we go back to the characters involved, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah's name means God remembers. Elizabeth's name means my God is an oath. They name their son John because they're told to, and John means uh, uh, John means God's uh, gift to you. The gift of God is what John means. So God is anchoring His eternal work and bringing it to pass through people who feel on the outside, for people who feel on the outside, and also for the people who've been on the inside the whole time. Watch some of this. This is incredible. I told you Zechariah and Elizabeth are in the lineage of Aaron. Aaron is the brother of Moses, and he's the, he's the first high priest. And so as God set up the religious system of the Old Testament, you had Levites who could serve around the temple, but only direct lineage of Aaron could enter into the temple. And so uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth do not live in Jerusalem, but because there's so many priest families all over Israel, you get your turn to go and serve. So this is Zechariah's turn to go to Jerusalem for two weeks and serve there. But here's the thing. Only a direct lineage of Aaron could enter into this sacred holy space and offer prayers uh, to God. But even if you were one of Aaron's offspring and a priest, you wouldn't be guaranteed to get that privilege in your lifetime. There's more priests than there are opportunities. And so it says the lot fell to him. They cast lots. It's his, it's his uh, people's turn to go and serve. You could only do this once in your whole lifetime if you got the opportunity once. You could never do it twice. So here's this sovereign timing of Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are now old in years, unable to have kids. He gets the privilege to serve at the temple these two weeks, and then when they cast lots to see who gets to go in and do this incredibly sacred thing and light incense in the most holy place, his lot is drawn, and he gets to do it. Now, he goes in there, and uh, it says that an angel of God appeared to him to the right side of the altar of incense. The altar of incense, by the way, is where prayers are made to God on behalf of God's people. And so they light these incense, and elsewhere throughout the scripture, you'll see that incense always reflect prayers to God. And it says, this angel shows up and terrifies Zechariah, and he says, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Now, you would think that he's talking about your prayer to have a kid. Well, they're beyond child-rearing years, and he is not brought into this moment to pray for a kid for his wife. That priest has a very specific task. When he goes in that space, he has one job, to pray for the redemption of Israel. So he goes into this place, and he offers incense to God, and he's praying for the redemption of Israel. And an angel says, God has heard your prayer about the redemption of Israel. And by the way, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. And then listen to what the angel says about that boy. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents toward their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous 
to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That right there, what the angel said to him, is a direct quote from Malachi chapter 4. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And in Malachi 4, in fact, those words are the last prophetic words from God for the entire Old Testament. And from that moment to this, God has not spoken for 400 years. This is really significant here because what God is wanting to show us through Luke is that it's all about us outsiders, man. God has come for the outsiders. But he's done this in a very sovereign, preordained, uh, eternal way that he started from the beginning. And in Malachi chapter 4, in fact, I can flip back there and read it to you. These are the last words of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He'll turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I would come and smite the land with a curse. God promised that, and then he shut his mouth for 400 years. Not a prophet speaks a prophecy. No one writes a prophetic or inspired word. 400 years. Many of us wonder, how long can this go on? And you know, is Jesus really going to come back? I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and we, you know, can you imagine 400 years where God does not speak on the earth a single time? And now he chooses at this very sacred, holy space where a prayer is being prayed by the high priest for the redemption of Israel to say, uh, I know I haven't said anything for 400 years, let me pick up where I left off. I'm going to turn the hearts. I'm going to send a prophet with the spirit of Elijah. You're going to name him John. I'm picking up the story right now. What an amazing thing that God cares about us outsiders, but he's picking up the story of the insiders and laying out this path for redemption for all of us the way he ordered it from the beginning. That's prescribed. This is why Luke says at the early part of the deal, I want to tell you all the things that have been fulfilled among us, that have been delivered down to us from God. This, your redemption, you might say, the reason I think this is so important is because you say, man, I'm glad God loves me. I'm an outsider. I'm inadequate to almost every task, especially when you think of the task of pleasing God or being who God wants me to be. And yet he loves me and came for me, but can I really trust that? Oh, you can trust it because he foretold it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he laid out a path for it to happen. And now this is that. God has rooted all of this in his eternal work. It's not, it's about you and it's not about you at all because it's anchored to who God is and who he promised to be. And you and I are just recipients of incredible mercy and grace that God by himself decided to lavish upon us through his holy history, redemptive work from the beginning of time to now. That's why you can trust it. Not only is Luke the gospel for the outsiders, Luke is the only gospel writer who writes a sequel to his gospel. Matthew, Mark, John, that's it. Luke also writes a book called The Acts of the Apostles. We call it the book of Acts. And he picks right up writing to Theophilus saying, now I told you the whole story of the person of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. Let's pick up the story at the cross and let me show you what God has intended 
which is that God wants to win all the outsiders. And he sends his believers all over the world because God wants the whole world to be saved. This is just anchored in this rooted, deep move of God. Man, so you are profoundly special along with billions of profoundly special people to God in the center of God's redemptive story that he started thousands of years ago and he's right on schedule to carry out. So you are both incredibly important to God, the, 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 the size of God, the, the, the depth of the wisdom and power of God, and he attends to your life. Listen, when I talk to God, he hears me. He cares about your life. He's attending to the details of your life. While this majestic, massive thing is happening, it's incredible. Which brings me to the third thing I want you to understand, which is that uh, it's about you, but not about you. It is this king and this kingdom come from God, is all about God, and exists only for the glory of God which is why you get to find calibration for your life in that reality. See, if you think it's all about you, you lose your way. God loves you enough to do the ridiculous, radical thing to redeem you, but it's all about him. It comes from him. These angels come from God. Uh, John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb before he's even born. Zechariah, when he sings his song, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies about John. All of this is a work of God. What's good news for you about that? It's not hinging on you. You're in the story, but you can't stop the story. You didn't earn the story. There's nothing you have to do to keep the story. God, anchored in the holiness and awesomeness of himself, decided to redeem it all, laying out the thing thousands of years in advance so we could all document with accuracy, so we could know with certainty the things we've been taught, that God has been about this from the beginning. It came from his heart and who he is, and he loves you, and you can't stop it, and your weakness is not a barrier. Your weakness, your sin is not kryptonite to the power of God. So many times you feel like, you know, man, I know God can forgive their sin, and I know God can forgive their sin. I'm not sure about Josh's sin, but God can forgive everybody's sin. You know, you look at people and you go, I know God can forgive their sin, but you think, can he really forgive mine? And you think your own sin is like, is like the one thing that the blood of Jesus is not powerful enough to obliterate. Come on, man. This is about God. It was birthed in him. It's all about him, and everything exists for the glory of him. Now, I'm going to read you a sentence. I wrote it in my Bible. It's going to be on the screen. I think you ought to write it in your Bible, too. If you have the church app, it's in there, and you can see it in there. But listen to this. When your life, this is gold right here, when your life is rooted in the sovereign work of God and filled with the right-now presence of God, and lived out for the glory of God, then that is when you are living exactly what you were made for, okay? When your life is rooted in the eternal God and the work he's done, his sovereignty, 
and it's experiencing the right now presence of God. And you're living it for the glory of God. Now you're living exactly what you were made for. Let me tell you why this is so powerful. This gives you guidance when you're confused because you understand, wait a second, my life is rooted in the ancient sovereign story of God. Wait a second, I have the real-time right now presence of God in my life. Wait a second, my life is designed and created for the glory of God. So now if I'm confused, I can find my way forward. I can use this as a roadmap. I can, I can sense comfort. I can find peace. I can stay calm in a storm. Uh, this is the great reality. Man, I just think this is so helpful for us because I know that my story, as brief and short as it is in the history of the world, is rooted in the sovereign work of God that began thousands of years ago and that will consummate at the return of Jesus and enter into another eternal story. And my story's in that one, rooted there. And right now, as I grind it out in the push and shove of this life, and man, I've got to tell you, I'm dreading the election cycle of 2024. But in that craziness, in that election cycle, and in who knows whatever's going to happen culturally next, to find your peace and your purpose with the right now presence of God by his Holy Spirit who lives in you, who's with you, who speaks to you, reveals things to you, and to have the calibrating reality that you're living your life for the glory of God. That is when you find, man, if you can live there, you are living the life you were made for. And it will give you guidance and comfort and peace and counsel, that's how your story fits into the story. What a gracious, incredible, mysterious, bigger than comprehensible God. And you're in that. What a gift from God. Calm down. That's what I, that's what I hear with all of that. Calm down. I've got this. I've had it for thousands of years. I've got it for thousands more. Everything's in my hand. Just calm down. Let me love you. Be with me. Live with me right now in real time. And that's why I've got two responses for you today. Our second response is always to bless your oikos. That's always our second response. But our first response today, and I'm going to give you a moment to do this, is to join in where Mary joins in. We didn't read her story there in Luke. But an angel comes to her and he says, you are highly favored of God. And she's like, what? And he says, you're going to give birth to the son of God. How's that possible? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. How am I going to give birth to a son? And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that that born in you, conceived in you, will be from God and will be called the Son of God. I believe that Mary miracle is what God wants every follower of Jesus to experience in our life in real time. Let me tell you about you. You're one piece in this dramatic story of God. But right now, you have found favor with God. And He wants to birth in you His work his beauty, his redemption, his love. And he wants to continue to send you to the outsiders. He wants you to join him in his great love for outsiders, all by the power of the Holy Spirit who will come upon you 
redeem you, birth in you Christ himself, and empower you to live your life every single day with God, for God, aimed at the glory of God. You're a part of something huge, man. You're a part of something huge. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It doesn't start with you. It's not by your own power. And it doesn't end with your stupidity. It's all a work of God. Man, I'm grateful for that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. Karis is going to get on those keys and just give you some space to pray this prayer. Father, help me to receive my own Mary miracle. In my silliness, I wanted you to look at each other and say to the person next to you, I have a secret. I'm pregnant. Because this is a supernatural reality. I'm pregnant. With the work of God in my life, the Holy Spirit has come upon us. He has introduced Jesus to us. You couldn't even understand any of this if it weren't for the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. Your whole life is a work of the Spirit. And so I want you to ask authentically, take a moment and just spend time with the Lord right now and say, Father, I want to receive my Mary miracle. I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me. I want you to do your work in me. I want to know to my bones that my sin is forgiven. I want to know to the core of my being that I've been chosen by you and redeemed by grace. And I want to live my life with you and for you. I want to bring honor to the name. So do a work in me. That's your whole prayer there. And if, and if it's helpful to you in that time to step to the side of the room and take communion, there's elements there where you could do that. If you want someone to pray that prayer with you and for you because you feel like, I don't really know how to talk to God, maybe that's something you feel clumsy about or not comfortable with or maybe you have a specific wall between you and God and you'd like somebody to pray about that wall being brought down we'll have prayer volunteers on either side of the room and they'll pray for you or you can sit right where you are and do this yourself and then we're gonna we're gonna sing a song together and then I'm gonna bless you on your way out but uh, man take a moment I'm gonna pray for you right now and then I want you to take a moment ask God to do the merry miracle in you to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and birth in you a work of God that will sustain you, carry you, that you can live in and live out for the rest of your days. Let's pray. Lord, I ask in the name, the holy, sacred name of Jesus, our Messiah, King of all kings, Lord of all lords, would you speak to us loud and clear in this holy moment? Let us hear and receive and believe your work in us. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name.